Hello, my little darklings. It's good to be back, and we're back live. Tonight, we're going to take a very interesting talk and twist and a jaunt down a road, and, a, and, a, and maybe we'll dig down deep into a rabbit hole, and, well, whatever happens, it's going to get weird. Isn't that why you tune in? Because you like it when it gets weird. Well, tonight, Mothman, we're going to get weird. For those of you unfamiliar with Mothman, fear not, faithful listeners, we've got the guy to enlighten you. The paranormal detective himself is here. Longtime friend and collaborator Greg Lawson is on hand. And when we return, messages from Mothman right here. This is my realm, and I am your host, Dave Schrader, on the Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't float. He doesn't stand for baloney. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps not. Ah, it's good to be back with you live, my friends around the world. But it is short-lived, that's all I'm going to say. I am here with you tonight. I will be back with you Wednesday for Supernatural News. And then I'm basically gone till the end part of the month. But... Again, fear not, my faithful followers and friends. I have prepared shows for you, amazing shows with fantastic guests. They'll be in place, and instead of news, because I can't do it on the road in Utah and while I'm out in England for 12 days, I put together some interesting episodes. It is Paranormal Encounters and more Paranormal Encounters. That's what you get not this Wednesday, but starting next Wednesday and the Wednesday after. Many of my very favorite stories from listeners around the world, I put them together in a way that hopefully will entertain, enthrall, educate, and maybe, just maybe, scare the poop out of you. <laughs> what good host doesn't want to have that on his credential list? Um, yeah, it's going to be two nights, one hour each of these really amazing stories, everything from near-death experiences in hell to demonic and haunted dolls, Sasquatch and interdimensional beings, and so, so much more. So I hope that you'll continue to take your journey with me here live on our YouTube program and platform. For those of you listening to the audio program, you'll notice nothing different. It's the same great Dave on another day with great stories to share. I'm trying to build my own credibility and persona back up. So that's why I'm referring to me in my third person and bolstering me by telling you just how great I am. Because if you don't do it for yourself, damn it, who will? Actually, many of you do. And I want to thank all of you that came out to see me and see the Paranormal News crew out in Austin, Texas at GalaxyCon. Boy, did we have an amazing time and got a chance to meet so many of you pose for pictures, autographs. I had Greg and Chachi by my side. We did uh, three different panels over the weekend, and it was so much fun. And I do want to thank all of you that took time out to come out and see me. I will be at Phenomicon this week. Uh, that's right. Phenomicon is coming up. 
in the uh, what is it? I can never say that. Unita, Unita. I can't say the damn word. Conference Center, but it's in Vernal, Utah, and I will be there. Cast members from Bigfoot shows, UFO shows, ghost shows, and my next guest, the paranormal detective. Well, he'll be there too. We're going to be spending the next what the September sixth through the ninth together in Vernal, Utah exploring all facets of the supernatural world. Greg, are you as excited as I am to get out to this event? Oh yeah. It's a great event last year. Um, man, I, I learned a whole bunch, uh, while I was out there. There's, there's a very, uh, wide range of people that are, that will be speaking. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I just went over some of the talks I'm going to be doing, uh, with the coordinators and they're very excited for me to share with uh, the crowd out there. So I'm excited about getting this opportunity and going out to do this. So for those of you joining us, come on by and say hi to Greg and I, we've got free hugs. Plus we'll have copies of our books. We'll have uh, power and energy bracelets. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff. And for those of you that are interested, Greg brought the first hundred copies hot off the press to Michigan Paracon blew out of them. He just brought another 50 with him just on a lark to this galaxy con Austin gone like that. Every time he puts the book out, they are gone. We all know why, because it's a fascinating topic. The new book is called messages from Mothman interpretations of premonitions and other paranormal experiences from chilling tales of strange beings to forewarnings of impending events. Messages from Mothman offers a gripping journey into the uncharted territories of the paranormal. Greg Lawson's keen insights and open-minded approach to the unexplained provide readers with a thought-provoking exploration of the profound connections between the human experience and the enigmatic world beyond. Make sure you get a copy of the book. There's a link for that in today's program guide, so make sure to buy the book. Not only buy the book, read the book, then rate and review the book. Give it five stars and tell the whole world what all of us here on the show know, just how amazing Greg Lawson is as an investigator. Uh, Greg, while we were in Texas, uh, one of the talks that we got a chance to do was talking about the Lone Star State and the very strange stories and histories that have come from it. And there was one story that you told that I'd like to visit before we roll into Mothman, because I think there's an interesting set of parallels kind of to, to, sightings and experiences of strange beings. So talk to us, if you will, about the headless horseman of Texas. Yeah. So, um, um, that's, that's one of those ones that you don't hear that you don't hear about it a lot. Uh, I've never hear heard of it. Yeah. You hear a lot, uh, a lot about it in South Texas. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, you have to understand how Texas was, uh, w- when all this occurred, this is a 1845 or so. Uh, and obviously Texas, uh, and, and Mexico <laughs> were at odds with one another, uh, sure. and the Mexican government was, was not recognizing, uh, the Texicans that were there and, and just uh, everything that happened with that. Well, Mexico was, uh, still, um, encroaching depending on how you look at it, uh, from the Rio Grande to the Nueces river. And what a lot of people don't understand is that Texas has no natural lakes except for uh, a lake very, very far east. So there's nothing out there that's a naturally occurring lake. Everything was rivers, uh, and that's where everybody went and, and tried to settle n- near those rivers. Well, right. 
the, the, the Nueces River and the Rio Grande, they're, they're all kind of parallel. And there were, that was this no man's land there. Uh, and, uh, the Texas Rangers were, were having to deal with a lot of the Comanche raids up for a little further north, north of San Antonio in that, in that area. And, uh, and so, um, this was kind of a free for all. So there was a lot of bandits that would come up and run that particular huge swath of area. And, and what they would do is they would go in and try to steal horses. They would, they would burglarize, rob, rape, uh, pillage as bad as it gets. Right. And the, the, they would watch and see when the Comanche raids would happen. They would get word. There's a Comanche raid. That's when they knew all of the ranchers would saddle up and ride north to deal with the Comanches and leave their families and their horses and their stocks all good behind. Mm -hmm. So that's when those bandits would, would swoop in there. And there was a guy named Creed Taylor. Uh, he was a no nonsense Texas Ranger back then. Texas Rangers, basically that badge meant you could kill whoever you needed to kill. And that was pretty much it. And Creed Taylor didn't happen to go out on this particular raid. Uh, the, and, and intercept these, uh, these Comanches. He actually stayed back. And, and when that happened, uh, there were some other ranches along there that were hit by this guy named Vidal. That's, a, that's all history says his name was, was Vidal. Mm -hmm. And he, and he had a gang with him. Uh, and so Creed Taylor, along with, uh, the legend of Bigfoot Wallace, um, William Wallace, they got together with a rancher named Flores. That's the only last name that they, they have on him. Uh, and they ran that area from San Antonio River to the Nueces River, trying to catch up to this Vidal guy. Once they found him, uh, they just kind of tracked him for a while and waited till it got nightfall. Uh, he, they all go to sleep, and the the two rangers and the and the rancher roll in on him and kill everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can imagine because there, there's no jails <laughs> at that point if you committed crimes down there. They just, they would kill you. That's or it. what they, that's, that's what it was, what they deemed a crime, right? Well, yeah. If you stole my horse, if you, if you stole somebody's horse, that meant that they're probably going to die. Cause you're not going to walk out of Texas. Uh, all, probably without some sort of horse. Um, right. so it was a very, very serious crime, uh, as, as serious as murdering somebody in your family, stealing your horse. So, yeah. And, you know, they, the, the Texas Rangers, their job was to run all of the uh, uh, Mexicans. And when I say Mexicans, uh, citizens of Mexico, they were, their job was to run all of them out of Texas and to run all of the Indians out of Texas. That, that's what their job was. Uh, Mexicans that identified as Texicans could stay in Texas. And that wasn't an issue. I'm sure they had some racist problems, but if you were sure. uh, if you were uh, loyal to the the country of Mexico, they'd summary execute you right there if you didn't if you wow. didn't run off. Yeah, and so uh, they did all kinds of stuff. They they would hang you and and leave you in the in the trees as a display. Uh, they would chop you all the pieces and scatter you around, leave you for uh, you know bear bait or, or or lion bait or wolf bait or whatever, uh, and they would do things to your body to try to scare the other bandits, the other Indians and, and whoever else away so that you wouldn't commit crimes. Um, these, these guys were brutal, man. And so Creed, uh, Creed Taylor and, and, uh, and William Wallace, Bigfoot Wallace, um, they killed Vidal. 
and they cut his head off. Uh, and then they, they had, I don't know whether it was one of his horses. Uh, there, there's a couple of different legends that there was a, a wild Mustang that they had, had, had somehow caught. And they saddled that horse up very tight and then tied uh, Vidal's body onto it and tied his hands onto the horn of the, the saddle uh, very tightly uh, and strung his head on the side of the saddle and slapped the horse and let him run off. And for years, this horse was running back and forth in no man's land, uh, you know, just doing his thing and trying to figure out how to get this dead guy off of him. And it's so dry out there and everything. I'm sure he dried out very nicely and turned into a big giant piece of jerky on the horse's back. Um, but when they finally uh, caught up with him, a, a, a group of rangers caught up with this horse uh, at a watering hole and caught him uh, and got the corpse off of there. Uh, it was filled with uh, additional bullet holes and fresh arrows. And, you know, cause this, this horse is running around out there and people would run into it and freak out. Uh, and see sure. that. And, and, and so, um, anyway, uh, Vidal's body is, is buried in a, uh, cemetery down in Benbolt, uh, down in South Texas. But the strange thing, the thing that, uh, that goes with, uh, you know, many legends is, okay, this happened. This is a true deal. And that's, that's, you, as you know, that's one of the things I, I look for whenever I do any of my research is where did this come from? Where do these stories come from? What is the alpha report? What's the first person? Right that this happened to, or they put it in a newspaper or something. This is good history, man. This is solid, good history. Uh, there's enough uh, uh, newspaper accounts written about this kind of stuff and legends coming out of there. But you have all of these reports from the 1870s of this headless horseman running around in no man's land. In the 1890s, all the way up into the 1920s, there were some people wow. out there that reported this big horse ran up uh, and stopped and it had a headless uh, a horseman on the back of it. And he was shouting, it's all mine. It's all mine. My problem with the, uh, with that account is um, Vidal. I don't know whether he spoke English. So it'd be really interesting uh, to do a little bit deeper dive. I haven't gone that deep on it uh, to find out whether or not, you know, that th this is truly a legend and somebody just made up this story and didn't realize he didn't speak English. But uh, in the 1840s, 1850s, he might not have spoke English. Uh, right. And so that well, would, and it that could be that, throw a little. That, that the people that he came upon uh, were speakers of Spanish and may yep. have been just translating. Oh, yes. And they translate. Right. This is what he said when he came, you know, came upon us. This is all mine. Yeah. tragic right and and the fact that it Crazy. didn't just kind of fade away like um like a folktale like oh uh, no don't go down by the lake there's a a lake monster and that's a way to keep our oh, children no. from falling in the lake right. don't go in the woods because of the wild men those things were told to children to try to control them and keep them safe to yeah. keep areas protected from the superstitious but there were so many accounts of people seeing this being for decades after it, when when you hear that, I know you're like me in the sense of wondering how much of this is legitimate and how much becomes people wanting to be part of a story so much that they inject themselves in through cursory tales of, ah, yes, my great-grandfather saw that. And, you know, the story is shared down the lineage. Right. You know, right. I, that that's where the problem lies because there's no real way to check the the 
actual history of this, to know the motivation behind it. And some we say, well, it's easy to say the motivation was money. Not a lot of people made money sharing these stories. As a matter of fact, no. back in those days, because of the religious sect around the world, you would be kind of looked at very oddly, if not kind of banished from your town for ranting and raving of ghosts on horses, I would guess. Yeah. And, uh, and I could see where, um, you know, if, if, if a rancher or someone wanted to keep somebody out of an area, you could, you could go ahead and perpetuate this story as El Muerto, mm -hmm. uh, the headless one and the headless one would get you, you know? And, and, and so between these two rivers, like I said, that no man's land, which is kind of still no man's land. I mean, it's pretty rough down there. Um, that is very pervasive. I, I have a friend of mine uh, that is a rancher down there. He's a uh, retired cop, uh, oh, retired deputy sheriff. Good guy. Uh, he has a big ranch down uh, South Texas. And uh, right along his ranch are these huge ruins. And he didn't know what they were. And then he was in town a couple of, uh, um, I don't know, within a couple of years of him buying this ranch. And he was in this old uh, restaurant. And there were two photos up there and it was men standing in front of that, those ruins. You could tell it's those ruins and the windows, the way that right. it's all designed and they were carrying muskets. And at that time the building was abandoned. So that would have been at least probably 1860 and the building was abandoned then and it didn't have a roof on it. Didn't have anything in it or anything. Oh. And it's right along what's called King's highway. Um, the uh, Camino Real Trail uh, that uh, the Spanish used coming up into Mexico to try to cut off the French coming through Louisiana. And so uh, it's right on his property. Uh, so him and I have been talking a lot about that. And he, he mentioned the lights and I'm like, what are you talking about? The lights? He goes, I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I it right over there where the, the building is, you know, from time to time, there are these lights that come down the road and I'm, I'm because he's, he's very security conscious out there. Right. And, and he's very, yeah, he's got drones, he's got cameras, he's got all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he says, they just fade away. They just, they just go away, but they come right up the road. And while I was talking to him the other day, he goes, Hey, hey let me call this other guy. And he, he calls one of the other uh, ranchers out there who uh, uh, has a very heavy Spanish accent. Uh, he says, Hey, you know, th those uh, lights that you, you see, and he told the same thing, but he also added, you, you can hear the chains and the wheels of the wagons, which is fantastic, right? Wow. So I'm planning on going down there in a couple next couple of weeks. Uh, he's going to get all those ranchers together, and we're going to go uh, have some barbecue and have some beers, and let's try to figure this thing out a little bit and get some good documentation on it. Very cool. All right, well, yeah. so we've got this the story of this headless horseman that was told. It, it doesn't seem to be too pervasive throughout uh, Texas, just in the, the mm -hmm. area it was, but it yeah. seems like a legend and a fable that's kind of faded even to that culture. You would think that if it truly was a supernatural force that they would still be seeing this being in the 21st century. Are there any more recent viewings of this guy or has he, uh, you know, have we known him to appear in the Mexican side as well in towns and villages? Yeah, that it's more uh, in the Hispanic culture down there. But the funny thing is uh, about that is is um, you you've talked about I've heard you in talks uh, uh, it, 
asserting that a lot of times we give things power by paying attention to them or talking mm-hmm. about them. You know, we, we can create these things. Uh, and that's something in the Hispanic culture that's very, very uh, uh, powerful is don't talk about it. Don't right. talk about it and give it, give it that power. Don't, don't talk about the demon. Don't talk about whatever it is. So we don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. I know. I what? know the song. Right. Wow. But I just, um, it, you, you really, uh, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to going down there and, and talking with them to see what all I can get out of that. Because, uh, I know you have people that roll their eyes when you talk about paranormal, uh, and as soon as uh, the crowd dissipates a little bit, they kind of float over to you and <laughs> do the, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. But one time, <laughs> you right. know, and, and here comes a head, headless horseman story, you know. Now, for a lot of people, the Mothman story, uh, and Greg is the author of a brand new book uh, with a forward by Chip Coffey, Messages from Mothman. The book is out and available right now. We have a link for it on today's program guide. We also have a link to Greg's website, so you can find the book there or uh, more information on Greg and the other books he's written. There are people still that don't know really much about the Mothman, or they've confused it with these stories that are coming out of the Chicagoland area over the last three, four years of right. this Chicago bat Mothman-like figure that's being seen. So for historical purposes, and just to catch up some of the the newbies to the paranormal field that are interested in this, could you give us a a quick basic history of that? And then we'll launch into the messages and and the principle of your book. Sure. So um, if you haven't seen the movie Mothman Prophecies, watch it. It's a fantastic movie. It stands the test of time. The acting is a little weird, right? I don't know if you've watched it lately, but I I watched it a couple of years ago. It was like... I thought these were really good actors and it's just kind of a little wonky, you know, it's just kind of, right. but, but anyway, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it doesn't, uh, exactly follow, uh, what the history is. And when you talk about history, um, you, you look at back, like, uh, what we were just talking about as far as El Morto, um, a, a lot of that is, is word of mouth, right? It's, it's not, uh, it's not documented somewhere. Uh, and in, in up into the 1910s, 1920s, a lot of cops didn't write reports when they would go to a scene. They would go to a murder scene. They'd go to whatever. They'd see everything. They'd collect some evidence or whatever. And it was for testimony. So th- they waited around until they went to court, and then they testified. That was their report. And, and obviously that you lose a lot of information by not mm-hmm. documenting that stuff. So when you look at a lot of this obscure, uh, interaction with either, uh, strange things or strange happenings, um, you, you can't go to a lot of really strong, like, uh, uh, written papers or police reports or whatever you need to go to the news newspapers and, and that sort of thing. So, Mothman's uh, real documentation was done uh, there in Point Pleasant through the newspaper. Uh, and it was a series of events and they were very, fairly uh, benign events, right? There's, uh, uh, you know, a two couples and they're riding around in a car doing what uh, young couples do. And they're out at a place called the TNT area, which is an old manufacturing, explosive manufacturing um, uh area that the military had right outside of point pleasant mm. and they're driving around out there 
and they see this huge thing, like a, a, a man-sized creature with huge wings, uh, and they, it ends up swooping down toward their car, and it's falling the car, and they're trying to run away from it. And they say that it's traveling up to 100 miles an hour. They were cruising in their car. Um, wow. So there's, there's several different stories about that uh, from different angles. Uh, and then you have a couple of stories about when people were out at the TNT area and, and out at some of the large buildings that were out there that were in ruins at the time. This has been the mid-60s. Uh, and they saw this creature sitting on top of the building. And which is that's that's that like you were saying, the 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 Chicago thing, like the the bat mm-hmm. creature, or you know, in comics, Batman and stuff, it's that ominous looking down upon you and the silhouette of this, this bat looking creature or this Falcon kind of looking creature. Um, so you have that then uh, on the other side of it, you have these other incidents that people see strange things, hear strange things uh, back this up just a little bit. The actual first report of this were actually some grave diggers that they, they were out there. I don't know what they were doing after dark out there. I guess they needed to hurry up and, and dig a hole. But uh, there was this brown creature the size of a man cruising through the trees, kind of hopping from tree to tree. And it had, had not hibbly-bibbly from tree to tree, but, you know, like, right. or sort of from tree to tree, uh, and had this these wings. Uh, they I don't think they got a really good look at them the way that the couples did, you know, with the silhouette and all that. Um, but you had this other odd report. Um, of- now, what and from what year are these reports coming? You're looking at 1965, 1967. Okay, we're 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 looking at a, at a bracket there, uh, mm-hmm. and depending on what your what your um, uh, what incident you're talking about and how it's all put together, because it's all kind of put together a little loosely, uh, and in these in these uh, news reports that you know how news reports are. It's like uh, USA Today. It's just this little blurb, and that's it. And there's not a lot of follow up on these things. So you have some other uh, report of individuals, Indrid Cold, guy named that identified himself to uh, uh, an individual, and he said his name was Indrid Cold, and he behaved strangely, and he talked strangely, and he didn't seem to be there to hurt anybody, uh, really didn't give any solid messages, uh, and the individual that reported uh, this stuff um, ended up having a real hard time in his life because. Uh, he reported this multiple times and nobody else would ever really come and corroborate that. Hmm. Uh, and in my, when I do my investigations, when I have no corroborative evidence, I kind of just kind of set it aside and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave this here, but I don't know what else to do with it. Um, but the main thing, uh, the main thing that uh, everybody seemed to agree on after it happened, <laughs> you know, after the premonition happened is uh Mothman was seen above the silver bridge the day it, it collapsed. Uh, and, um, you know, depending on, on how you interpret your own paranormal experiences, um, most of us look back on them instead of looking forward on them. That most of us look at them and go, Oh, I saw something flying above Chernobyl. And, you know, it's flying around above Chernobyl and then Chernobyl blew. We should have known that thing was trying to tell us that Chernobyl blew. Well, how, how, how is this translate? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I kind of went with the uh, messages from Mothman was 
we saw this thing. I'm going to say we, because there's, you know, several different people that saw something in the air uh, and they correlated it to the bridge collapse, uh, collapse of the silver bridge and all the deaths that occurred at the silver bridge. I believe it was 46. So now are they looking, Greg, at this being as a portend, as a, a harbinger? Yeah. That was there to lay witness to this? Or do they believe that the Mothman himself had some dealings in causing the collapse of the Silver Bridge? For, from what I've read uh, and the people I've talked to, Lynn and I went to Point Pleasant, talked to some of the folks there at the museum and um, looked at some of the original newspaper articles and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what it seemed like to me as most people felt that that it was there as a warning, as a harbinger, but but as a warning that this was going to happen. But I don't know how you translate that. You know, it, it, right. how hard has this got to be? How about land on the bridge and go, eh, mm, right. <laughs> you know, do yeah. something like that. Um, but we talk about this a lot. You know, is this crossover UFO, alien, uh, time traveler, dimensional being, ghost, demonic, cryptid? Right. Is it, is it uh, do all of them have this, <laughs> this ridiculous set of rules that, you can't have direct communication. You can't stop a train from running over somebody. You can't do these things, but you can knock over grandma's plate. <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, you can, you can, uh, you know, your, my mom died. Uh, and I think the very next day, my sister was at uh, uh, a department store and the ladies in front of her that were checking out, we're talking incessantly about Kit Kats. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm almost 60 years old. If we go by Japanese standards, I am 60 years old. Um, I was conceived, you know, back in June. Uh, yay, mom, dad. <laughs> and um, I've never stood in a line anywhere and people just talk and talk and talk about Kit Kats. But these two ladies did this in front of my sister. My sister just lost her. Yeah, because my mother would do that. Would just talk about Kit Kats. Here, have a Kit Kat. These are so wonderful. She had dementia, and she forgot that she told you how great these Kit Kats were. Uh, and she would just do it and do it and do it and do it. But these become things we know as mnemonic triggers, right? Right. Exactly. Listen, right now, mom's on your mind because she passed away. Now, maybe any other day of the week, you wouldn't have been tuned into that because your brain wouldn't be in this malaise and melancholy of loss. And you would have been thinking, man, I got a lot of bills to pay this month. And, uh, oh, geez, I got to remember to take the DVD back to Blockbuster. <laughs> for, for people that know what that is. Where in the was. world are you? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you've got all these other things bobbling around in your brain that you might not have even taken notice. But when you hear this incessant chatter that's very much like mother and her fascination with Kit Kat, it becomes, wow, is this a sign? Am, am I becoming aware of this? Um, is she communicating through these women to me? I've seen this butterfly. How many times have you maybe had that butterfly flit by you and had no core connection or correlation to it? until your mother died who had a butterfly tattoo and now you notice it and recognize it because it was something 
that ties to them and it's a trigger for memories. Yeah. That's where I, 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 I walk on that line. I don't like to rain on people's parade and tell me when they see signs from loved ones, a pack of cigarettes, a butterfly, a special bird. I don't deny that those things could be signs, but to me, I also know the, the psychology of how and why the brain searches for these patterns. And especially when dealing with grieving, it would seem that that would be a much more pertinent uh, aspect of that moment. Well, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't use your logic on me. This is the Paranormal 60. I don't know if you uh, read the title of the podcast, but... Uh, we were allowed to, to go off on these different venues. And I know speaking with you over the weekend, talking about people and the way they perceive um, things and the way they perceive... Yeah. You and I could go in and someone will perceive this as being paranormal and we'll look at each other and they're feeling a cold spot and the two of us look up and there's a, a vent directly above that person. And they're like, right. oh, oh, it's my grandma. We were just talking about her. Now I'm freezing. And you know, you, you notice these moments that, that occur all the time. And we want something so much that we're willing to forego logic to force this round peg into the square hole. Right. Um, so whenever I, I do, whenever I'm asked to do some sort of, uh, investigation or someone wants to share something with me and, and I want to, yeah, yeah, Debster. And, uh, I, a lot of times people won't kind of go with my rules. I'll go, okay, if we're going to do mm -hmm. this, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. It's no big deal. Um, and, and one of the things is uh, if you, if you're having experiences, uh, I want to rule out medical stuff. So I'm going to say, you know, you, you see these things out of the corner of your eyes. Um, I'm going to say, let's go to the optometrist. Let's get an eye exam. Right. Uh, I want to see a mapping of your uh, of your uh, optic nerve. I want to see this. I want to see that. And and rule out that stuff. What meds are you on? If they don't want to tell me what meds they're on, then this isn't going to work. You know. And and maybe right. the meds help see through that veil of right. something on the other side, or or maybe they don't. Maybe it's something else, and the the medic medication is supposed to mask that. Um, I had a a, a situation with a lady that uh, she was, she had multiple businesses in a, a pretty thriving town close to where I live. Um, active in the community, active with a school, had, a, had, had two daughters graduated college. Uh, and we were talking and she was explaining how this flying saucers come and freeze time in the town uh, and freeze everybody. But mm. she can move. And she can go and look and it'll happen at night. And she'll go out and she'll see multiple UFOs above the, the town with like these cone lights coming down on the town. Right. Everything is just time has stopped basically is what she wanted. And she wanted me to, what do you think about that? I said, well, I think there's some things that we need to look at. And I was going to set her up with an MRI. She refused. And I'm like, well, th this is one way that we can say, you know, whether or not there's, there's a physical condition that is right. creating these images or not. And she refused. So she would, and, and, it's, and this goes along with what you said. Sometimes I believe that our interpretation of our experience is more important as long as we're not endangering ourselves or, or, or harming anybody else. 
our interpretation of our experiences is more important than possible reality. Um, since we're kind of creating our world in our head anyway. So if, if she wants to believe that the, these things are happening and doesn't want to go through the steps to remove any physical anomalies, any medical conditions that would possibly cause this, which, um, uh, epilepsy is one of them. Um, then I can, that, that my, my investigation ends there. If you don't want to talk any further about these other things, then, then that's it. Um, so it's that, that balance. And, and, um, when I did my talk in, in Michigan, the main thing about it was, was just take a little bit of time and recognize the possible, the possible messages Mm -hmm. that the universe, the spirits, old former loved ones that have passed are sending you and, and fit those into the purpose of your life and identify those things. Because I, I think we get so busy and so frustrated. We get so busy with work, trying to pay bills. So frustrated with relationships of um, just day to day things that we start discounting a lot of the amazing things that are happening all around us. And, and, and like Lynn tells me all the, all the time, you need to think about how fortunate we are in the United States right now. You could be in Ukraine. You could be in any of the 72 countries that are currently fighting an internal war. Um, but we're in the United States and we're arguing about little things. So, very bizarre. The book is called Messages from Mothman. Well, what the hell of any of what you guys said have to do with Mothman? Well, we've been setting that precedent for you. We're going to get into that because it is about yeah. messages, understanding the signs, understanding what things mean and what they may mean to you. We'll discuss that and more when we return. Stay tuned. You're listening to the very best in paranormal programming. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is the Paranormal 60. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, passing those sweet, sweet savings directly to you, my darklings. It has been such a good change for me. I've saved so much money in switching over to Mint Mobile with all of my family and so many people bleeding me dry. I was so happy to find some relief, and Mint Mobile has been that relief valve. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. So say bye-bye to overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages, and say hello to relief. Thank you, Mint Mobile, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash p60. That's mintmobile.com slash p60. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash p60. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
All right, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here with us. My guest tonight, the one, the only, the paranormal detective straight from the Paranormal 60 News crew. He is here with his brand new book, Messages from Mothman. And we're discussing and going to open up the topics to uh, these messages, these things that we try to find connective tissue to. Why do we see this and, and want to believe it means that? Or... Uh, you know, what do these beings mean when we see them? And you brought up an interesting uh, facet um, in the last segment, Greg, about being cognizant of the moment and aware of what's going on. If you think that you're having a moment with mother or father or brother, sister, child, whatever that might be, start to take notice, not so much of the message, which I'm sure is beautiful to feel that sense that they're there, but what is it telling you about that moment? Right? Is it a moment of things are going really bad? You're just in a bad mood, and all of a sudden you have this sense that mom is there with you. That's a beautiful feeling, man. That's an amazing moment to kind of reconnect spiritually with the people that we've lost. And having that moment is totally fine allowing yourself to be in it. I, I liken that to many dream interpretations. When people come at me and they're like, dude, I was dreaming about this. And I, I'll sit there and just say, well, real quickly, you were being chased by a monster. In all seriousness, is there something going on in your life right now that you feel like is out of control? Like your you know, bills are coming due, you do not have the money for it. They're like, oh yeah, that is a massive struggle. And I'm like, that's right. what the brain is trying to work out in your sleep. Start to notice what are the things, not the monster, start to notice what's in front of you. Notice the things that your brain may be trying to find as a way to save you from the monster. Maybe that's where the message lies to help you in the waking hours. And a lot of people that I've spoken to have done that, or they keep dream journals. I tell people, keep a recorder by your bed, and that way you don't have to wake up, turn on lights, and start writing. Just turn on the recorder and vent out the dream go back to it then the next day because you might get those little pearls of wisdom. Our brain is remarkable in trying to figure things out and create uh, answers for situations that we may find ourselves in, uh, both at living and asleep. So I think that these books and, and these kind of stories are really interesting because the Mothman's not the first being that's been seen prior to or just after tragedies. You brought up the fact that, you know, aliens, listen, they're there is video footage of a UFO hovering over Vatican City the day they released the smoke to identify who the new pope would be. Now, the one thing I didn't mention about that is that airspace over the Vatican is protected airspace. <clears throat> Nobody can just get in there and hover. And it was caught, I think, on MSNBC and CNN, and there was a craft hovering over Vatican City. Um, there were craft that were witnessed in New York two or three days prior to 9-11. Uh, there are these moments where UFO craft have been seen or alien beings have been witnessed prior to tragedy. We've talked about the black-eyed kids on our programs throughout the years, Greg, and I've had uh, Afghani and Iraqi war veterans that have told me they're not big believers in the paranormal, but their wife was telling them the stories they heard on my show, and then they open up to me, and they're like, I can't go public. I can't tell you where I was, what I was doing there, or what, but I can tell you, we had some bad things happen when these black eyed kids would appear. They would show up out of nowhere. Sometimes they would try to get us to follow them and where they went exploded. And we firmly believe these beings were not human. They were leading us to something. Others believe that these things were warning and trying to get between them and the place where they could get hurt. 
And it's so interesting how these beings vary depending on your outlook right. on the situation. It's, it's very uh, interdisciplinary, right? It's, uh, you know, if, if you're a priest, um, it's, it's demonic or it's angels. Uh, right. If you are a paranormalist, it's ghosts. If you're, if you're a ufologist, it's some aliens. So it's very, very, everybody can kind of fill in, uh, you know, based on what their belief systems are. I, I talk a lot about that, that uh, in leadership classes and things like that, as far as your vapes, your values, assumptions, beliefs, and expectations. Uh, and all of those formulate your vision of the world, uh, especially expectations. I have been places before um, that I had done a bunch of research. I knew what I was going to look for. I go there and I have blinders on because I am looking for this one particular thing. Uh, and I find out years later, the thing that was irritating me in this case, it was this little, little bluish green bird um, was there to send me a message. And that, that's what happens in, in, uh, in, in South South China, uh, around the Macau area is, uh, the earth mother sends you a, this little blue bird to tell you, to give you a message. And I was trying to get this blue bird to get away from me because I didn't know any better. I'm, I was right. completely looking for something else. Um, so yeah, I think that has a lot to do with, with how we interact. As you start to dig deep into a case like the Mothman that happened so long ago, um, how hard is it to find what's real from what's been fictionalized or fantasized about? Uh, it's really hard. Um, and you have to dig uh, very deep as far as to get the clutter out of there. Um, Mothman, the, the, the good thing and the bad thing about Mothman is there's not a lot of documentation. Um, mm -hmm. Like with Roswell, um, you know, there's been people who have written books that said I had, you know, I interviewed 700 witnesses. Uh, no, you didn't. You, you interviewed 700 people that knew somebody who knew somebody that said something mm -hmm. like there was a truck with a tarp over it and the spaceship was probably under the tarp. You know, I mean, what, what is that getting us? It's not getting us anything. It's getting us clutter. So right. I really do my best to try to uh, boil off all of that clutter and just, I just set it over there. I don't completely dismiss it, but I just complete, I, I set it away and look at the, the real stuff. So in the Mothman story, there's, there's some meat and a little bit of potatoes and that's it. There's no, nothing else to it. And it's all interpretation after that. And it's your perspective on, on the world and what you're expecting. So well, you, you talk throughout your book about keeping open-minded to unexplained events and synchronicities, uh, things that line up and messages that may be coming from from the other side. You're somebody who's pragmatic. You're taught to be logical as a, a police officer and an investigator. But it also seems that most really good investigators and detectives and officers that I know work a lot more on gut and premonition than they do on logic. And I, I don't mean that to sound dismissive. I hope you understand the point I'm, I'm mm, going. There. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, um, whenever I, whenever I've worked a case, I, I have, I haven't been a detective in many years. I'm, I'm, I promoted a Sergeant then to Lieutenant and I'm a director of training for our training Academy. And 
uh, I always tell them to follow the evidence. Uh, you're going to have this gut instinct. And I've worked with these detectives before, and they're absolutely can be absolutely wrong, uh, abjectly wrong and uh, chasing the wrong person, putting the wrong person in jail uh, based on what their circumstances are and their perception of this individual. Uh, mm -hmm. And it has enough information. They're not falsifying anything. They just they have enough information to where it provides probable cause for the arrest and you make the arrest and they get out on bail. And then, you know, you have to, well, therein lies the, the problem then Greg, right. there, therein lies the problem that if we are taught to believe our intuition and our gut instinct, but yet we're supposed to follow the evidence. Sometimes it's a leap of faith to get to the point where the evidence can actually be read. How do we differentiate that in our personal lives when people are, I, I hear this voice telling me, don't do this, don't do this, but I can't tell if it's me nagging myself or if it's me helping myself. And, right. you know, that, that driving force can upend an entire life. I think it's through our training and experience. And when I look at, when I see detectives go down that line that I just described, mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of times they're very pragmatic. They're very in the box. They're very narrow-minded. They're very jaded. They're very... Uh, condescending, you know, I mean, it's sarcastic, just, right. I've seen this a thousand times. This guy was there and he did it, you know, and that's it. And that's really scary when that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there is that fine line, right? There's, there's someplace there. I think it's through training and experience where you can say, when I had this gut instinct, in this case, I was right. And in this case, I was right. And in this case, I was right. My gut instinct is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and, and also you're not having to deal with incarcerating anybody either. So your right. interpretation of what it is um, definitely needs to be like what you said you know, with a, a dream journal. You need to write this stuff down. If you, if you mm -hmm. find something that's really a, a, a strong feeling, just to legitimize it, you should write it down and you should tell somebody about it, even if it's wrong. Um, there are multiple cases that I, I talk about in, in messages that individuals um, had good premonitions mm -hmm. and they told nobody. And afterwards, you know, they brought this uh, information forward where they wrote a letter or, you know, they jotted something down or they told a coworker. Uh, and, but here, here's the problem with that is, um, who are you going to tell the, the silver bridge is going to collapse and it's going to kill 46 people. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to run around screaming. You're going to try to block traffic. You got to tell the cop, you got to go do something. You got to shut the bridge down. It's Christmas. We're not mm -hmm. shutting the bridge down. It's tons of traffic. We got to get people moving. They got to get to their parties. They got to get to their families. We're not shutting the bridge down, you know, and, and now you're a nutbag. Uh, and if the bridge, when the bridge collapse, collapses, yeah. And if it does collapse two days later, you're the first person they're going to be calling on. Sure. But you know, it's, it's that, uh, surviving that two days of everybody right. going, wow, did you see that guy? And then Look, they're going to be investigating you for tampering with the right. bridge. Well, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into that in a few moments here. Uh, and for people that are wondering, well, how do I start to learn? How do I start to get training? There are great places. And let me give you one recommendation right now. Innovation, creation, 
vitality, and joy are the pulse of MySoulTopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoulTopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoulTopia.com. That's MySoulTopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoulTopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L. T-O-P-I-A dot com. Yeah, check out MySoulTopia.com. There are books. There are many different classes and things that you can take to actually help you start to develop and understand the abilities that you want to understand more. I also want to introduce you to Love and Lotus Tarot with Winnie Schrader. If you are interested in getting a tarot reading, would like some insights into your world, into your life, relationships, work, finances, maybe uh, you know, trying to figure out what the next step for you should be or what it is from your past that's holding you back, Love and Lotus Tarot might have the answers for you. If you're interested and would like to get those readings, just go to Paranormal60.com. That's paranormal60.com. Click on the Love and Lotus tab. You'll find all the information there so that you can book a reading. My guest right now is Greg Lawson. Messages from Mothman, the name of the book that we are discussing. We have a link for that book up on today's program guide and a link to Greg's website so you can get more information from him there. Greg, in examining the the concepts of um, synchronicities, of, of... watching for patterns, for hearing these messages, interpreting them, bringing them forward, it it does seem to be an individualistic concept. It's something that people have to come into an awareness of, of their own in order to do this. What you, you, you put out the question, to what end? If we know these things and we're told these things, what can we do about it? We may not be able to flex in a big way to change the world or stop people from going on that bridge that day. But by speaking to loved ones, um, you know, there's times my dad is not a medium or psychic and a lovely man, um, the father that raised me, not my bio dad, who is a sensitive, but my my father that raised me, there were a couple times when they were on trips and he just stopped the car and turned around and told my mom, 
we're not going this way. There's, I can't explain it, but there's something wrong. And he never went back to look to see if there was a mudslide or a collapse or if a bear attacked a human. He never went back to check because he didn't want to know. But he went along with the fact that sometimes you just have to go with the faith that if something's telling you to change patterns, change direction, maybe you need to do that at that moment. And again, being acutely aware in that moment. And I think that's really a compelling uh, thing for all listeners around the world to kind of sit on and look at because we do feel powerless. And then we're given this gift of sight to see something, to know something. You know, I have talked about the fact that when January 1st of 1988 happened, I came home that New Year's Eve. I was supposed to spend a night at friends and I kept having visions and flashes of my mom collapsing, my mom being wheeled out to an ambulance and being taken to the hospital. And there was no reason for me to have that. And when I got home that night, she came out bleary eyed and crazy haired and asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah, mom, I just drove everybody home and I came home. She goes, well, let me go to the bathroom and I'll come out. We can talk. And she turned around and went into a grand mal seizure. Hmm. And had I not been there, I don't know what would have happened. Right. Um, but I followed that instinct. And then there's been other times when I've thought, yeah, I could throw these dice one more time and make $20 million and I crap out. So I don't know when is the right time to listen to these messages or not. Um, and, and I think that's where so many people fall into is it seems like these gifts, these insights are not trustworthy. They're not always something that we can lean upon. Well, and, and that, um, could be, you weren't supposed to win that million dollars. You know? I don't ever believe that's and, the case. Right? <laughs> I never believe that's the, I'm a firm believer. I should win that million dollars. You know, um, once again, uh, with your belief systems, how you look at life, uh, what your experience is like, I, I think mine, what I suggest in this book, cause I use, um, I use Mothman from beginning to end, right? I stretch him real thin all the way through the book and I plant all these other things that are very relatable to that in, in with the story. Um, and the common, the common theme throughout it is paying attention and at least just recognize what could be a sign. Um, I, I know I've blown off plenty of signs before uh, and they've come back to haunt me in, mm -hmm. in different ways. So which ones to pay attention to or which one you're asking either which ones to pay attention to or which ones to take action uh, because of. And uh, I, I think it's much like your dad. He had an instinct along with him, uh, whatever that was, and something just wasn't right. Something wasn't lining up, and he changed that that direction. Um, the The book took a, uh, a a turn because I didn't realize that this was going to be almost almost I say a self help book uh, because at the end I realized what I was talking about. I didn't really know what I was talking about at the, at the beginning uh, of the book. And at the end I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. On your own journey, pay attention on your own journey. It, it could matter. Um, just driving to work, something could happen that could change your life depending on, on whether you pull over or whether you change lanes or whatever it might be. Um, 
And uh, I don't want to create PTSD where everybody's like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a butterfly hit my windshield. What do I do? Uh, it's not that, but just being able to recognize that stuff, I think it's incredibly important. Right. And you know, the fact might be that you're not supposed to do anything about it, but you can start to develop those abilities by noticing these things. Because it, again, in the overall scheme, it wasn't your job to fix it, but maybe it be, made you a little bit more aware and a little bit right. more connected to the world around you. Because that moment was so traumatic for so many people that it, I think, ruptured the time-space continuum of Point Pleasant. You know, just like 9-11 ruptured the space-time continuum in New York and in many different areas around the world when these tragedies befall a location and people sensed it and knew it was coming and felt so helpless. Don't feel helpless. Feel empowered by the fact that you are tapped into the universe and you were picking up on the ripple effect of that tragedy before it happened. It doesn't mean that you were there to fix it or make it better. But now that you're aware of it, maybe there's something you can do in the aftermath to help. Maybe there's right. something you can learn in this, in this case is don't just let it be a, a news story. You know, we are in one, one country, 50 st states, one country. I'm in Minnesota, the middle of the country. And I hear some tragic thing befalls uh, Florida. And it's like, Oh man, that's horrible. Boy, it's hot today in Minnesota. Holy God, how the, why my ears not working right? We're so broken from the rest of the world into our own little pocket universes that when we get those breaths of fresh air where we become one with it all, we're missing maybe another more important lesson along that line, which sure. I think your book helps to, you know, show that that this is some this is where you need to be more aware that it's what can this do in your life to help you to make sure that, you know, you don't have a complete collapse. Right. And, and we are taught, uh, and we're, we are, uh, rudimentary created as a Christian nation. I know people want to argue that, but, but for the mm -hmm. most part, you, you look at the, the documents that were initially signed. That's, that's kind of what, a, what it is. Um, and, and we look at that and as we're raised that way, we're told, there's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as this. Don't pay, you know, don't divine anything. Don't, don't do, don't predict anything. Don't do all that stuff. And they tell us not to do things. And I think one of the biggest, most horrible things that, that religious leaders tell us to do is don't worry about right now. You're going to be going to heaven. You're going to just believe in the word. And it's like, wow, I don't really have to try real hard. You mean this place sucks and there's going to be a better place I'm going to? Well, I'll just crap all over everything here and, and I'll go to heaven and everything will be fine. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly bad way uh, to, to influence people's behavior uh, other than punitively. And so um, I believe in, and I talk with a lot of mediums uh, and I have no clue what they do. I have no clue. But I know this one thing. They think a little different than I do. They perceive things a little different than I do uh, in, 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 in a way that I cannot. And so by talking with them, I look at all of these things in a different angle, in a, through a different lens. And that right. empowers me even more. And people are like, why do you do that? You know, I, whatever the divination stuff is. Uh, whatever the mediumship is, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you go to a priest? Well, they'll defend that very quickly. Um, but from what I've seen, like let, let's say chip coffee, for instance, um, I've seen him work 
do wonderful things for people. The people are just, uh, people are crying. People are hugging mm-hmm. people. I mean, I've seen him do amazing stuff and I have no clue what he's doing. And I don't see how it's any different than, you know, what, what a priest is doing mechanically there. Or a psychologist. Uh, or a psychologist. Uh, if when you, or, or your best friend, that's really smart. <laughs> you know, you could go to, uh, and they'll give you a, a, a clearer vision of your, of your life. Um, so it's I because it's, we want to have that validation, right? Of yeah, the feeling yeah. I'm having is real. Let me ask a priest. Let me ask a medium. Let me ask my psychologist. And the fact is the one thing you've, you're, you should be noticing is you already know the answer. You're looking for validation. Elsewhere. Validation. That's right. And, and that is that. So when you want to start learning that ability in you, that you've, you've done that enough times that when you take it to the experts and they tell you, yeah, that is right. You know, you don't need their judgment. You don't need them to hold your hand through this. And right. you know, what just kind of struck me, Greg, in, in talking about the tragedies that befall, cause that's really what we focus on most when it comes to these moments. Sure. Is and I know the traps I've spoken to mediums and sensitives about nine 11 that it actually shattered them because they, they saw this coming and they, they felt so powerless to do it. And something just hit me between the eyes as we were discussing that. And it's that maybe these tragedies happen. And I know this sounds horrible so that we can learn that we can come together for positive. Now, when we see something going horribly wrong, when we come together, like people reach out to me, Dave, there's wildfires in Canada. Can we do a prayer and healing intention with your listeners around the world? Sure. Let's do a prayer and healing intention. Dave, there's raging wildfires in Maui. And I put up a prayer request because for one moment, we're not in our own heads. We're coming together under one unified field. And maybe we can push and influence so that together, if we focus on things before they become a tragedy, get past the negativity of the world around us and focus on the positive, we can begin to alter the matrix of our existence and the existence of others. Because we know prayer works, even for people who are not Christian or believe in prayer. They don't even know they're being prayed for. And doctors will say, that's remarkable. That happened. That was a turnaround. And it's because people came together in a really interesting way in order to make that change. So maybe, maybe that should be the takeaway from a lot of these type of cases and these seeing these synchronicities line up that maybe in that moment, we need to reach out to others to do something bigger than who we are, to reach out, to try to change and influence and affect something positively. And and I do not believe it has to be something amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. Edward, uh, Lorenz, uh, he was a weatherman, Mm -hmm. um, back in the thirties. Uh, and he, I think it was the thirties, fifties, something like maybe seventies. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think maybe in the seventies, I think he was born in the thirties. Anyway, he came up with a butterfly effect. He coined the butterfly effect. They were trying to figure out how to, uh, how to, uh, predict weather patterns, right? using all these different things. His idea was we don't know uh, what kind of effect a butterfly disturbs the wind over here, disturbs the atmosphere over by these bushes actually affects something a hundred miles now, a hundred miles away in Kansas. We don't, 
we don't know how that does, but we do know it, it affects the immediate environment and just like water on a lake. You were talking about that on one of your shows um, on Lot Ness, how that water, that, that, that wave will go from one end of the lake, strike the shores on the other side, and then come all the way back all by itself and go all the way over. We don't know what these little effects have in, in people's days. Um, I had a guy that uh, retired uh, from, from where I work a few years ago uh, and I had stopped by his little retirement thing and he came over to me. He saw me. And he was, I mean, I, I never work with a guy. I've seen him around. He's been in some of my classes at the Academy, that sort of thing. And he came over to me and he shook my hand with both of his hands. And he says, I want you to know something. And I was like, what's that? And he said, uh, man, I, I was in a bunch of your classes. I don't remember what you said in those classes. I don't remember what you taught me, but I remember how you made me feel. And I appreciate that. And you don't know the little things that you say or do with people, how that's going to affect down line uh, mm -hmm. and, and how it, it, how all of these things are connected. Cause I, I firmly believe that they are in some weird fashion. Right. Well, we see it. Uh, synchronicity is not just a magical principle. It's the aligning and attuning of things in the universe that are coming together for a bigger purpose. And like you said, it doesn't have to be some grand scale, even just taking the time to stop at the grocery store and compliment the person who's right. ringing you up that you could tell by the look on their face, this is the last place they want to be on earth. But maybe by yep. giving them a little sunshine, by giving them a genuine compliment or, or, or love, that could set them on a totally different direction today as well. Yep. And that's what's beautiful, right? The messages from Mothman, synchronicities, uh, prophecies, insights into who we are and the bigger, bolder picture in front of yes. us. Yep. Uh, the book is available and out. We've got a link for it on today's program guide, folks. Open up your minds, open up your hearts, learn, educate yourselves, and follow a thread line that would interest you with the supernatural and the strange of the Mothman. And you might be surprised to find that there are lessons along the line in a lot of these cases that can be used in your everyday life to make a difference, not just for you, but for the people that you love around you. And I appreciate people like you, Greg, that take the time to see that narrative put it together. And even though you realize this isn't necessarily the book I began to write, but this is the book that needed to be written. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And I thank you so much for uh, doing that and bringing your story to us and, and allowing people to hear about it and, and share it uh, in book form and in an interview. Thank you for letting me be on. I appreciate it. Always buddy. And I know you won't be with us this Wednesday on the news and you're going to be off for a few weeks. I will see you the last week of the month back in the news, but I will see you out in Utah when we're together for this amazing conference. I'm looking forward to it again, folks. If you want to keep up with where I'm going to be and how you can meet me, Greg, and many of the other members of our team, just keep checking out at darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com to all of our local and loyal and worldwide listeners around the world. Thank you, my darklings. Have a very safe and happy night. We'll see you back here on Wednesday with the strange and supernatural news. Thank <laughs> you.